Welcome to the Same 24 Hours podcast. The podcast is currently on more or less hold to accommodate the recordings for the daily community meetup. During this crazy time, I'm having daily meetings online via Zoom where we can all join and see each other on video and there's special guests. And so I thought I would post the replays here on the podcast so those who can't listen live can listen later. So here we go, continuing on with the daily community meetups. If you'd like to join, all you have to do is go to swimbikemom.com forward slash meet, M-E-E-T, swimbikemom.com forward slash meet, and you can join us any day of the week, 12 noon Eastern during the week, and weekends I'm doing 8 p.m. Eastern on Saturday and Sunday. So I hope you all enjoy this episode of the Daily Community Meeting. Hi, and welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. Anything recorded? There's your warning. I had positioned this meetup to allow you guys to just log on, talk to me, ask any questions you might have. I'm a wealth of useless information. We could play games. We could do trivia. Um, And then Brooke called me, our special guest today. And we chatted and I was like, hey, what are you doing tomorrow at nine your time? <laughs> this is how I get people. I did this to Jerry, who I see Jerry's on. I was like, hey, what are you doing you know, Sunday night? And he's like, oh, and people know by now not to say I'm available. <laughs> so, um, so Brooke is here and we will get to know her today. And she's part of our um, food nonsense group, which is super exciting and something that I've wanted to start for a while. Um, I don't have anything prepared to read today. I don't have anything prepared. It was one of those days. So if anyone has read anything recently that has impacted you or that you would like just a tidbit that you would love to share, this is your chance to practice your public speaking, (laughs) which we've talked about, and um, share anything that's on your heart or on your mind. And if not, we'll just, we'll do a quick meditation and and get started. Um, does anyone have anything they'd like to share? Oh, there's Jerry. Hey, dude. If anyone else would like to go, that's fine. If not, I have a piece of poetry that is one of my favorite pieces that inspires me a lot, but I'm open if other people want to, to speak. No, you go. Do you just happen to have this piece of poetry like in front of you? Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, this is um, this is from Tennyson's Ulysses, which is one of my favorite poems, and it's the the last few couplets that I've used as a uh, a pilot light for many years. It seems to get more poignant with each passing year as I near the age of or the phase of life that Ulysses was in um, when, at least when Tennyson uh, wrote this for him, right. So if you're not familiar with the poem, he, they're back in their, their homeland. And frankly, um, 
he's feeling restless because his identity has been defined by the struggles outside of home, away from the comforts of home. And he's trying to exhort his, his mates to go back out with him one last time. So I'll read it now. Come, my friends, tis not too late to seek a newer world. For my purpose holds to sail beyond the sunset. And though we are not now that strength which in old days moved earth and heaven, that which we are, we are. One equal temper of heroic hearts made weak by time and fate, but strong in will to strive, to seek, to find, and not to yield. Oh, Captain, my Captain. <laughs> yes, I love that poem. That's good stuff. To not yield, to seek, wait, what is it? To seek and not to yield? To strive, to, to seek, strive. to find, and not to yield. I have it tattooed on my left butt cheek, but I'm not showing anybody. Well, you have to now. <laughs> Just kidding. Thank you, Jerry. That was great. Yep. Um, so what are you, um, since you're talking, what are you doing for a workout today? Uh, I'm doing a homemade circuit in the garage that I find to be uh, humbling. It's just a series of push-pull, um, get acquainted with the concrete floor work that uh, will take about 25 minutes and then about 15 minutes of laying on the floor to summon the en energy to get up. <laughs> that was me today. I had, um, I had double unders. So naturally, I had wetting my pants and then followed by um, burpees to a target of six feet, which doesn't sound, sound hard, but, you know, it is. So Yes, I'm, it does. <laughs> anything to a target sounds hard. Um, Beth just asked, please list book resource. It's the poem Ulysses by Alfred Lord Tennyson, I believe. That's correct. Oh, I had to dust that one off. That yeah, it was a good catch there. I could see the thing scrolling in the back of like, your English mind. Yeah, he said who it was. Was it Thoreau? Was it Tennyson? Was it Thoreau? Was it Tennyson? All right. Oh, thanks, Jerry. All right. Um, let me make sure everyone is in the group. We are good to go. Brooke, I'm going to unmute you. Today we are talking about food. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that I was like, hey, everyone join and ask me questions. Just kidding. We're going to talk about food is so fitting, so fitting. But the beautiful thing is this is actually, let's see, it looks like our fourth highest attended meetup. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Just gonna say that. Just gonna leave that right here. Mm. But Brooke, I don't even know how we met. I I think you reached out to me to chat about something, and then I started following you, and then we created the Overcoming Food Nonsense group along with Ronnie, who I think's on the call. Yep. And th the response was overwhelming because we all have to eat, and yet somehow we all struggle with this part of our life. So I thought it would be really great to have Brooke come on, tell us her story, and then this is a great opportunity you guys she she'll tell you her qualifications her resume or whatever but a great opportunity to ask questions to discuss to share your struggles and of course to to join our, our group which is totally free so you can get more of this so Brooke I will turn over the floor to you I'm gonna drink my smoothie well you tell your story <laughs> absolutely absolutely well first of all thanks so much for for having me on today and 
Yeah, no, it's so weird. I feel like I've known you for over 10 years because I was so one of those like secret lurkers. Oh, I love you. Your blog. I was a secret <laughs> lurker and I, I think I started following your blog in like 2013, maybe like all the first time. Iron Man. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I definitely followed that like uh, leading up to it even. So it must've been even before that. Um, oh. I was, I'm sure I had Googled like how to do a triathlon so that I can lose, you know, 50 pounds right. and be happy and finally well, most like, people oh, find me. like, so most people have actually found me because they Google, what do I wear? Oh, I wrote oh this blog that post, been it. what do I wear <laughs> to the first triathlon? It's the number one hit on my blog and it just tells you what to wear. And so that's oh, probably how funny. you found me. <laughs> it might've been actually, because I was so one of those people who was like, well, maybe if I just like exercise four hours a day, I'll finally beat this thing, you know? And right. here's the beautiful thing. Like from that very like well-intentioned, but poorly executed idea, I found triathlon, right? And it's been one of the great loves of my life. I didn't lose a pound doing it, but I, <laughs> it didn't fix my food issues, right. but I did discover. And I think that's such an interesting part of the food journey too. Like looking back, so many of the painful things that I was doing to fix this have actually become such incredible teachers, right? So all of the diets that I try, all, all of them, and, and it 50, 100, I don't even know, so many. They taught me how to eat, actually. Like a lot of times, you know, and I know that it's very popular right now to really be very critical of diets. And I understand the criticism of the diet mentality, right? That idea that we are needing to look a certain way, to fix ourselves, to, you know, have a certain body type so that we're socially acceptable. It's all very, you know, um, uh, oppressive, frankly. But... <laughs> I learned how to eat through all of the terrible diets that I tried and all of the great, very scientifically sound diets that I tried. Right. So those have been great teachers, right? Um, I, you know, went through a very painful separation, you know, uh, five years ago through my marriage. Like that was when I actually started to find the solution for the overeating problem that I'm using today. So again, I don't <laughs> wish this kind of suffering Was on anybody. Was it the separation that caught, solved your eating problem? <laughs> no. Okay. I, I mean... <laughs> That was a I weight loss that. in, in one respect, fun. but it was not my bodily weight loss, unfortunately. Right, right. But like I found, um, I found coping mechanisms. I found tools to help me process emotions. I found tools that helped me understand the stories that I was telling myself, right? That was keeping me stuck in these really painful patterns in all areas of my life, including food. food. Yeah. So again, I don't, I don't suggest that we, we, we have to go through all of this suffering, but I, I will suggest that, you know, when we're in it, it just feels so painful and so pointless. And what I found is that like so many, pretty much everything that I learned and, you know, my road to recovery was paved with, you know, these painful things that ultimately became my greatest teachers, right? Which sounds so cliche, but, but, but so true. And certainly in my, my eating journey. So 
just really quickly, I mean, I don't know that my story is that, you know, extraordinary um, other than I, you know, focus in my own practice now on being a person in recovery who then transferred their addictive behaviors to eating. I say that, but to be honest with you, <laughs> I honestly think the eating behaviors came first. So yeah. it's I, not I would like, agree with that. Yeah, totally yeah. Totally. It's not like I was a really, you know, sane eater and then I, you know, was a raging alcoholic and then I recovered and all of a sudden I started overeating. Um, my eating behaviors were very, and we've talked about this too, so I won't go into it, but we're really inherited, right? Like I had, um, I grew up no, in a very nice No, I think this is good. I think you should go into this. This is good. Okay. All right. All right. So I grew up in a nice family with a mom who had a secret life with food. So that's kind of how I describe it, right? Like she had almost this, um, this whole separate identity with food that was kept separate from her identity as mom, her identity as part of our family, right? It was like this whole world. And it was this thing where like, I knew something was going on, but I couldn't understand what it was. And when I was maybe 10, 11, I got invited into this world, <laughs> if you will, right? Like my parents did a very good job with what they had to try to like, you know, feed us and, and, and like do what they were supposed to. But um, I got invited in. And what I mean by that was I started to, um, you know, sneak food. I started to eat what my mom was eating. I started to read all of her diet books. I got really interested. I was very fascinated by all of this. And we started to kind of live in this little world together. Um, I don't really know, honestly, what that has to do with like how I ended up recovering. All I know is that I oh, think I, I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Please tell me, enlighten me, please. <laughs> I mean, look, when like at a psychological level, our parents are a source of life, our source right. of comfort. If they abandon us, we die, at least, you know, to a certain age. So I think that has everything to do with your recovery because you determined, okay, I'm actually not going to die from mm -hmm. changing my view of food. I'm actually not going to die. This is not connected to love. I think that's, that's all very connected. Well, and it's the love thing too, right? Like being, again, being invited into, so, so the separation, like I felt that, right? I felt like there was something going on that if I just knew what it was, I would get closer, right? To this parent. Yeah. And indeed, that's exactly what happened, right? When we could share diets, when we could share eating ice cream for dinner, when we could share how unbelievably delicious certain things were and how much we enjoyed eating them and right like there was that i'm in right i'm in and this is ecstasy this is like euphoria this is love so for sure like i got you know that connection to food um then i discovered alcohol <laughs> if food <laughs> felt good and felt like connection and felt like that. And what's funny is that like drinking behaviors were not modeled in my home. Like I didn't, that wasn't something that my parents did, but for whatever reason, I got that 
gene, that bug, that, that set of characteristics that made me, you know, very predisposed to uh, a, basically addiction, addictive behavior, using anything that could like make something good better or make something bad go away. Right. Right. Did they, were they teetotalers? Like, did they not drink at all or did they drink to like normal moderated behavior? Yeah. They really didn't drink at all. They really did I think that's a key too. Like I think, cause yeah. that, I, I think with people that grew up with a household that doesn't drink and doesn't talk about it, yeah. it becomes yeah. this thing too. It's like an active form of rebellion when you do try it and you're like, oh my God, how did I right. not know about this? Because no one's educated you on it. No one, I mean, not that you can fix a moderate, like you can't just take somebody who's not a moderator and make them a moderator. But I think right. I have seen a connection with that. You know, it's either the people grew up in the house with heavy drinking parents or like super teetotalers, but anyway. Right, right. <laughs> well, and you know, when you are actively using, and I'm going to talk about food, right? In terms of like using, so, so eating instead of feeling, basically, drinking instead of feeling, right? Doing, uh, using an external substance instead of experiencing whatever it is is going on for you right in that moment, you stop learning how to deal with your emotional life, right? And so I had a parent who had no coping skills, <laughs> right? Who had re very little ability to understand like their emotional life, right? And very little ability to kind of, um, to cope basically. And so I think I sensed that. And I think that there for sure was a, a rebellious instinct on my part to like get out of this cocoon, right? With a parent, we were very enmeshed in this eating behavior. We were very enmeshed in our emotional behavior, right? We weren't, we weren't coping appropriately. And again, I, I just, I think I sense that instinctively and I'm like, I'm, you know, 15 and I got to get out of this like enmeshment, right? I wouldn't, I had no idea what that meant. I just knew that like mom was like super all up in my stuff and oh. I wanted to like get out, right? Like why was she all? Yes, that's up? such a powerful word. I didn't learn that word until two years ago when I started working through my trauma. In yeah, 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 yeah. So I was just like, she's super controlling. She, you know, we're like overeating. Why can't we just like, you know, do normal stuff? So my version of that was, all right, I'm going to go drink and use drugs and like just be this wild child. But on the outside, I was still very like, you know, um, trying to keep it together. So anyway, so that's my drinking story. And that ended when I was very young, actually. I was like 21 and a half when I stopped drinking. Um, I say stop drinking. I mean, when I was hospitalized for the final time and finally like went to rehab. <laughs> so that was a very, very serious problem. Um, and I, you know, got very serious help for that. While I was drinking, the food issues just were non-existent, right? The, the drinking was so intense that I honestly like didn't even think about food. It was not as powerful, <laughs> right? So when I quit drinking, I, you know, was in recovery. I was learning new coping school skills. I was like learning how to, to sort of live my life without substance. And it was 
magnificent. It was absolutely wonderful. It was probably the happiest, you know, I had been really in my life up to that point. And I remember like maybe six months in and I was like in um, a program of recovery and I was going out with some sober people and we were going out to eat. And I just remember sitting at that table with these new friends, being sober. I had a job. I was 22 and we had this dinner. And like, I literally still remember the food that I ate. We went out to this diner. I had this big stack of pancake. Like I had all this food and I got that feeling again of like, I'm belong. This is love. This is my, this is the secret club, right? This is like where I find all of my joy. And again, like my brain just connected and notice like also I'm like, oh, and I ate pancakes drenched in syrup and butter and I drank Coca-Cola and I was smoking cigarettes like (laughs) at this dining table. Um, You know, I was confronted once again with the fact that like I had no idea what to do with food. I had no idea like how to eat. I had no idea that I was making these very, very life and death connections with food in my mind. And that sounds so extreme, I know, but, and again, I never would have verbalized it that way, but that I was making these connections of like, if I don't have this, I don't have love. If I don't have this, I'm all alone. If I don't have, you know, if I'm not eating in this way and getting these major dopamine hits from all of this, you know, this rich food or like I'm disconnected. I'm floating away. You didn't know that. Like you weren't consciously thinking that it just was that. Yeah. No, it just felt great. Just felt great. That's it. And all I noticed was that I started doing that a lot and I started gaining weight. That's what I noticed. right? Right. What do I do when I gain weight? I go on a diet which always used to work, you know, when I was 12, like that works. I'm an 11-year-old um, Weight Watcher graduate here, so. That's right. Drop, drop out, I guess I should That's say. That's right. I yep, yep, yep. I don't know if I literally ever, ever hit my goal weight ever before in my life. Never hit my goal weight. Always in pursuit of it, <laughs> right, right? And so I, yeah, so I started dieting and I would lose weight and I'd get this huge rush. And then I would go out to eat with my friends and not be able to not overeat and feel miserable and right the whole cycle. And dieting became this job that I did, right? So it became a secret world that I had on the side. What's interesting, like at my highest, I was probably 50 pounds overweight. Um, It was very much like my drinking where a lot of my friends were like, I didn't even really know that you struggled that much with it. Like I, you know, we, and by the way, it's so normalized, right? To struggle with weight that like, you know, it, it's normal to struggle. And I didn't seem like I was struggling more than normal people struggle with food but it was this whole secret life that I had. And I don't think from age 25 to, you know, 37 or whatever, I really started my recovery. Like, frankly, from age zero to 37, let's be honest, I ever ate, just ate, just ate food. 
right? Like, what does that I, mean? What is I, right, right. What does that mean? <laughs> I, I never just ate. It always had to mean something. Mm-hmm. It always meant I was gaining weight or it meant I was losing weight. It meant I was good. It meant I was bad. It meant that I was in control. It meant that I was out. It just was never. There was a always a judgment, like a judgment attached to every meal. Like this is yeah. good. This is bad. This is yes. not on my diet. This is, this is that. There was a yes. voice. Yes. Yeah. There's also a big, like, this is enjoyable. This is miserable. Right. And what was enjoyable <laughs> were hot fudge Sundays, And what was miserable was chicken. You know what I mean? So like there was just always, so, so it was sort of my, my, yeah, my secret life. And I, those identities just became more and more detached. Well, I had like quit drinking and I quit using drugs and I quit smoking. I had quit all of these things. So I was like, I'm very well equipped <laughs> to deal with this food thing. Right. <laughs> and when I, when I tried to stop overeating, I had no, I, I couldn't, I couldn't stop doing it. I had no idea. So I'm going to stop here and ask you a question actually, Meredith. Great. So <laughs> what I had for dinner last night. Then- yeah. 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 So you, you quit drinking. And so this is a thing, by the way, you know, in my, so my company is called sober and hungry and I, I primarily work with people who are in recovery, right. From, from drugs and alcohol and who have found that their food issues, right. Aren't being, they, they can't seem to overcome them in the same way. Right. And we think we should like, we quit drinking. <laughs> How can we not quit cupcakes? Like this doesn't make any sense, right? So what has been the difference for you between the drinking and the eating? And like, was this something that you came up against? Oh, I mean, I, I still struggle with it. And I, don't, yeah. I do not think about booze. I, I really, truly don't. Despite running a sobriety group, I managed to like not, I, I just don't think about drinking anymore. I think about yeah. food all the time. Like yeah. right now I'm so mad at the smoothie I made and I'm like, this is, un- this is inhumane. Why? You know, <laughs> the cupcakes, but no, like I could I, now quitting drinking was no walk in the park. And, right. and, and I think a lot of times we use, just like you said, you substitute another substance for the drinking. And I do that when I coach people in sobriety, I'm like, I don't care if you have to eat a large pizza every night and a pint of ice cream, we can figure out the food thing later but just don't mm-hmm. drink today. Like I do a hierarchy of bad. I'm like, I would rather you actually go back to smoking for a bit. Like I'm, I'm probably a yeah. terrible coach. It's probably the worst advice ever. But when you're trying to, to deal, to triage the major, you know, bleed, yeah. you, gotta, you gotta triage the major bleed. And so that's, that's the way I look at it. Um, but as far as food, I can abstain from alcohol. I can just not do it. I cannot do cocaine. I cannot mm-hmm. shoot up heroin. Um, I have to eat. And I, like, we talked about this on the, on the group call for the food group. Um, I have literally asked my dentist to wire my jaw shut. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and they looked at me like I was crazy. I was like, no, I'm actually serious. I want to only be able to have liquid for three months. Cause I right. feel like three months of liquid, I would get goal weight, whatever that is. Right. Right. And, and my husband would love me because I couldn't talk. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone would be happy. The yeah. podcast would be a struggle, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I've asked every dentist I've gone to if they would do that because it, it's it's all or nothing. And I know I hate I hate that mentality because I really don't truly believe in all or nothing. But with food, that's what it feels like. I'm either eating healthy or I'm yeah. a trash bucket. 
Yeah. 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 Um, there's no in between. And, And that's, that's the way I've traditionally felt. I see myself growing because I have dealt with my shit. Um, the more you deal with the root cause, the easier it becomes to perhaps not binge, to not overeat, or this is the greatest skill is picking yourself up and starting immediately the next meal eating like normal. And I know Mm -hmm. that word is whatever, but to go from (laughs) a pizza and a pint of ice cream to the next meal, okay, I think I'll have what I had planned to eat, which was salmon and a salad. Yeah. Or instead of going, okay, tomorrow I'm going to fast. This was always my favorite. Like binge one day. Okay. Tomorrow I'm not going to eat at all because that's going to fix something. And, and the biggest thing I've learned is if I do eat something not on my self-created plan or I do binge, the the next best thing I can do is start over the next day with food. Mm -hmm. Not, Mm -hmm. okay, this is a fast. We're going to exercise it off. We're going to, it's just, it's done. Yeah. And and I think that is a skill I'm learning, but no, I don't have this kicked at all. The the longest non binge I have gone was 79 days Mm -hmm. um, in my life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. it was incredible what was going on in my life during that time. It was last year. um, I was in therapy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was not having contact with emotional triggering people at all. Zero contact. Um, and I was, I was just working on myself. My husband was in, we were in separate States. <laughs> he was living in Massachusetts. So it was just me and my mm-hmm. children. And, um, it was a different world. Everything was different, but that was the longest streak I had gone. Yeah. And when I look back on that, I'm like, okay, what was going right? What was, you know, what tools can I take from that? And so I don't know. I don't even know if I answer your question, but that's been my yeah. experience with it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how we proceed when it's been a lifelong battle. Yeah. Yeah. You know, little by little, like, Hey, good job. You, you didn't eat the whole pizza today, you know? And I think, yeah, I think it's a celebration. Right. Right. So in my, yeah, totally answered. Like it, it is there. It's different. There's like, there's a different skill set I think that's needed for eating than there was for, at least for me for quitting drinking. Right. And I was throwing the same tools at eating (laughs) that I was throwing at other areas in my life and they weren't working in the same way. And that was probably my lowest moment where I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know this. I, I just literally don't know it. And of course it was at that moment where, and this was 2015. So this was about five years ago. And I like, knew that I couldn't give up, but I figured maybe I would just like control and manage my food and my weight for the rest of my life. Right. That was about as good as it was going to get. But, um, what I discovered were a couple of things. First of all, I stumbled on life coaching, wah, wah, which I'm not going to go into too deeply here, but I listened to this podcast by this woman, Brooke Castillo, and I'm sure you're familiar with her, Meredith. I know you've had some guests who have gone through her program and they're absolutely phenomenal. And I ended up like school of life coach school. Like that's the name of her thing. Anyway, I started listening to her podcast and she's a weight loss coach, like first and foremost. And through that, through nutrition study that I was doing 
through like principles of recovery that I was still using, I recognized three things. And these are the three things that kind of form the foundation of my recovery. Eating is a skill set that I did not learn when I was a child. I was not like eat, eating is like learning to do something, right? We think that we should just know, like we have to eat to survive, right? But part of, you know, our formative experience is food and learning how to find food and eat food that's, you know, good for our bodies and that is part of our culture, right? Like there's these skills with eating that I certainly did not learn. And again, my parents did the best that they could with what they had. But most of our parents, by the way, grew up in a time where, you know, companies were advertising about like how to feed your kids and it was really screwed up, like what they were telling our parents to feed us, right? right. right. Um, our parents were introduced to like snack foods and all the shelf stable stuff, right? They, our parents were really, at least my parents, right? Were one of the first generation to struggle wholesale with weight, right? Like their parents were still like, what's the matter with you? Just don't overeat, right? <laughs> like you're just getting chubby. You just need to like not eat so much. Well, it also came with like a side of abuse. I mean, they're Absolutely. right. They're right. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, you know, listen, fat ass. Like, yes. yes. And that's very much like how, you know, my grandparents were with my, my mom, right? Like what's wrong? Like what's the matter? You just cut back. You just eat three squares. You just whatever. Right. But again, like so much food and food with all of this, you know, concentrated, highly processed, right? I always call it like powdered food. So sugar, flour, right? Alcohol, like things that occur in nature that are actually very difficult to eat. Like, right, we just ground down into fine powders. Oh, <laughs> and funny. you know what I mean? So we can get way more anyways. Like that's what our parents grew up with. So they started to really struggle with that. And they had no tools to understand how to do that. And so what my mom did was like, there's something wrong with me. This is what her, you know, there's something wrong with me. I don't know how to eat. I'm a freak. I'm just out of control. And I don't want my family to suffer from that, right? That was her intention. She just doesn't want us to like see that and mimic it and suffer from it, which of course I did. <laughs> That's the exact thing I did. But, or, you know, the other flip side is, is what I experienced is I and this may or may not be true, I had a very tall, very thin, long-legged mother uh, mm. who did not struggle with food and had this mm -hmm. short-legged, portly little hungry thing, you know, yeah. and, and I, I had mentioned that on a podcast and, and whoever I was interviewing said, are you sure your mom didn't struggle with food? And I was like, oh, what? You know, and so then I texted my mom and I said, hey, mom, I want to have a conversation about body image and food. Um, when can we talk about this? No response. And mm -hmm repeated ass. My mom always responds to me. She will still not talk to me about her body image and food and stuff. So I'm like, well, maybe my mom had an eating disorder. I don't know, you know, but yeah, like the whole 
yeah, the, so here we are, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's so much shame around it and there's so much self-judgment about it that so many people are hiding their struggle, right? And so what happens is that they're hiding their struggle and, or again, what happened to me was that that happened and I kind of sort of had to figure it out on my own. And it was like this half, have ice cream for dinner and half, like, let's go get fast food and half, you know, sugar cereal in the morning. Like that was sort of my skill set with food. And here I am beating myself up for not being able to eat eggs and fruit in the morning and a salad for lunch and meat. And you know what I mean? Like I had never done that in my whole life. And I was expecting myself to just. Right. Right. Yeah. And you're modeling, you're watching people eat you know, whatever my dad, and we talked about this on the other call, my dad was a laborer. So he came home, he didn't eat all day, did right. construction, came home at one and sat in his chair and ate all flipping day morning, you know, till evening, right. but he also right. burned millions of calories. And so, right. you know, that's the modeling we had. And so when all of a sudden I get put on Weight Watchers and they're like, here, eat a salad and a chicken breast. I'm like, what is this? What is this? This isn't right. This isn't what my culture of my family, these people, my people, no, I'm serious. Like, right. This is not what my culture taught me. Right. It feels separate from me. Yes. This feels wrong. This feels like your way of eating, not my way of eating. So what I had to do was recognize that I had to learn how to eat. It really was that simple and learning something takes trial and error. And so what I did was I just started to put together kind of simple meals, like just simple meals from scratch. Did I like eggs? Did I like them scrambled? Did I like salt on them? Do I like this tahini? Do I like this thing, right? Do I like it with fruit? Do I like, like I just kind of took it back and just, became very aware of needing to teach myself as a grown-up how to eat through a lot of trial and error like what I like what I don't like and then that's like self-parenting like yes. learning to self-parent and to know all the things that we have collectively learned over the years from dieting right yes. you knew how to make a, a a healthy meal and so you it sounds like you and correct me if I'm wrong you went back and said what foods that I've gained from my knowledge of healthy eating yes. Do I like to eat? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. So I went through and I was just like, all right, through all that miserable dieting, what actually did work for me through those? And I put together this sort of plan that kind of borrowed from a lot of these different things, right? So that was one part of it. But that requires self-trust or did it not? Were you self-trust at this point yeah. or were you like, I'm trying to figure this out and I'm going to give myself grace to figure it out? Or were you like, okay, I trust myself to do this. Cause I, I know self-trust is a big thing with us, with dieters, people. That right, sleep. right, right. So, okay. Perfect question. So I started with weight loss. I wanted to lose weight. Okay. And I, I talk about this a lot too, like in my own practice where um, I didn't come to this being like, I want to be a recovered overeater. <laughs> I don't, I, I didn't care about that. Right. I didn't care about being sober. I cared about, you know, not being hungover. I cared about like getting a job and keeping it. I cared about like not, 
you know, making an ass of myself every day and not remember it. Like those are the things that I wanted and I got sobriety, right? In the pursuit of those things because I had to quit drinking to do that. So to be honest with you, I wanted to lose 50 pounds, period. I wanted to wear a size six or whatever. Like I wanted those things that, you know, can seem sort of, you know, um, I don't know. To me, they're sacred. Like that was a really sacred goal. And I, I still hold that as a sacred goal because that's what got me to finally finding a peaceful relationship with food. Mm -hmm. I wanted to lose weight and I heard that eating was a skill and it just kind of occurred to me that I didn't have the skill of eating. Right. And what was happening is I was looking to a diet and say, tell me how to eat. And they would tell me how to eat and I would feel all the separation because I'm like, that's not culturally, that doesn't make any sense. This feels so weird. I'm so not peaceful. I'm so in fighting with this because salad to me means disconnection, right? So ice cream to me means like taking care of myself. Right. So yeah, so when I, I made this plan to lose this weight, my goal was to lose 50 pounds, to do it in a way that was sustainable. So nothing that I had to like crash my way to get down. I wanted to do it in a way where I did not fear food because I needed, I knew I needed to feel some peace with it. So what was happening, God, I feel like I'm being so long winded about this. No, I'm no, sorry. No. So I'm going to try to focus. No, no, no. Keep talking. This is good. But what would happen with all of this dieting was that I got more and more and more rigid. So for example, right, I'm, you know, I'm a recovered drinker and I read with like, you know, the really low carb diet, don't eat any carbohydrates because sugar, right? You're addicted to sugar. And I was like, yes, that's it. I'm addicted to sugar. That makes sense. I was addicted to alcohol. I'm addicted to sugar. Well, addiction to alcohol means like I can't have any alcohol, right? If I drink alcohol, it sets off this chain reaction that basically leads to me like dying. <laughs> so, so guess what I made the connection within my mind? Oh my God, if I eat a single morsel of sugar, I'm going to set off the phenomenon of craving. I'm going to like never be able to stop and I'm going to die. <laughs> and again, I didn't think this out loud, but that was the association I was making. So I got so rigid about these kinds of things. So in my recovery, I really questioned all of these beliefs that I had formed, right, about food. For example, the idea of addiction and sugar. And I really had to break that down. And I really had to say, all right, my belief is that I'm addicted to sugar. Is that serving me? Is that going to serve this goal that I have? Is this going to serve this plan that I'm making? It serves me with alcohol. It did not serve me with food. I realized that I had just adopted this belief without even questioning it, without understanding it, without, right? Like, would a little bit of sugar actually send me off into a tailspin of death and destruction and overeating for the rest of my life? And I have actually found that the answer to that is no. No. I have to be very, very careful with it. I did have to stop eating it. I did for about three months, right? Um, 
but I did want to find a way to not fear it and to not feel like I had to avoid foods or fear foods in some way. So I feel like I'm kind of going off into like no, no, no. I think another subject. Question. I sent you a quick question though, Brooke, privately, so oh. you can check that. Yeah, about timing. Um, yeah, yeah. One of the things you you brought up that I wrote down is that you question your beliefs and everything in our life when we decide to make a change. Yeah, no matter what it is, I'm leaving this relationship. I'm out of this job. I'm not going to drink anymore. It comes down to our belief about that thing and if whether or not we are going to continue to have that as one of our core beliefs. Anyone that goes through my coaching program knows that we talk about this mm -hmm. big time. What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about your patterns? Do you mm -hmm. believe you will always be fat, overeating, a binge eater? Do you believe in your heart you are not meant to recover from that? Mm -hmm. That is a driving force, a major force. And so your beliefs around sugar, I mean, that, that really rung true to me because I've noticed that I had a fundamental belief that I could never be fit. That right. I would always right. be a little fat girl. I don't believe that anymore. I don't know how I don't become a little fat girl, <laughs> but I don't have a fundamental, not that there's anything wrong with being a little fat girl. I don't want to get tweeted about this later. Um, be, if you want to be a little fat girl, be a little fat girl. Um, right. But for me, it's, it's it, not accepting that untrue belief that mm -hmm. was put upon me by the people with lesser tools in their toolboxes <laughs> to teach mm -hmm. me the things that I, the same thing. I didn't have the skills. And so I, I like that about beliefs because yeah, that, yeah, I mean, yeah. to change anything, we have yeah. to change our belief about it. So this is the second tool, the second principle, right? And I'll kind of get into this. So it's perfect segue. So the first one, eating is a skill set, And if you don't know how it's okay. Right. And like, that's not a moral issue and it's not something that you are supposed to just know, but it is something you can learn. Right. And it is something that you can figure out. The second and honestly, most important tool is what's left over when you stop overeating, when you are actually eating, you know, a healthy diet for you. Um, and <laughs> that it's obviously like what, the, the biggest tools that I needed to, to learn. So when you stop overeating, all right, so you plan, let's say, you know, a day of eating, let's say three or four meals, okay, and you've removed like your problem foods from that day, right? So for me, that was like sugar and flour, okay, I'm just going to use those two. Those are really common. Um, <clears throat> so what happens, right? You go into your day and you're good, you're good, you're good, you're good. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you're just like, I'm gripped. This was ha what happened for me. I'm gripped. I'm gripped with this overwhelming and irresistible urge to eat something else, <laughs> something that I hadn't planned. Um, you know, these these craving foods right that for me it's sweets always always just sweet sweet sweets um and i never knew what to do with those so what i would normally do right in the past is i would just try to shut off right and just get through it and just I'm not eating that. I'm not eating that. I'm not eating that. Um, I'm going to be okay. Everything's fine. I don't need it. I'm addicted. I'm a mess. I'm right. Whatever it is. Right. And I would just, just resist the food and resist 
myself, right? And just kind of try to la la through it. Does that like, is that sound familiar? Like that I get a craving and I would just try to shut down <laughs> so that I didn't respond to it. <laughs> I'm muted on my bah, 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 bah. Yeah. Um, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just although I found myself not able, I, I couldn't, I couldn't stop it. Like yeah. I could, yeah. Yeah. For a while. like, I mean, six, you have to be so vigilant and yeah. so aware and so present to be yeah. able to actually stop that freight train. Yeah. Become, yeah. And for me, I am stubborn. I am stubborn. I can do this for weeks, for months. Yeah. And yeah. then I get compassion fatigue for myself. I get, uh, yeah. um, I, and I'm like, I can't fight this anymore. And then it is on. And then I'm yeah. in the pantry eating saltines on grapes or yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it doesn't yep. even make sense. It doesn't, it doesn't even matter what the food is at that point. I um, have made the most interesting concoctions of yeah. food that are like avail. I mean, just the most random pairings of things just to feed that. Mm -hmm that insane urge right yeah, yeah. so that is something i knew i needed a tool for and i think especially right as people who are recovering and who like have that phenomenon of craving i always tell people especially if they're not recovering i'm just like i deal with like people who were addicted to heroin i know a craving <laughs> when i see one like we get it right we get it so what i have learned is that there are kind of three ways that we approach that freight train, right? So the first is we just shut it up with eating, right? We just eat, we, we respond to it with eating um, and it's over with and it goes away and we've relieved it, right? But we're overweight and we feel out of control and we feel like we have to have that food to deal with that state. Number two is we resist the food and we resist the feeling. So we're like white knuckling through it, right? Like I'm just not gonna eat it, I'm just gonna eat it, right? And then there's this third way. And this third way is what I call like resisting the food but not resisting what's going on, okay? And what I mean by that is that feeling, that craving, is actually a feeling in my body, right? Like I can literally feel it in my body. It's that tightening, it's that gripping, right? It's that insane energy, okay? That's it, the insane energy. It's an That's insane energy. It's like Yes, yes. And it's like your brain is like on this thought loop, right? And it's all very, very designed to drive that overeating to, to stop it, right? So we're rewarding that feeling with the food. And we've, I've done that, I don't know, 37 years. And when you don't overeat and you have that feeling, there is something going on that if you can stay with it long enough, you actually are able to understand what's happening. So what I did was I used this sort of tool where I didn't overeat in response to that feeling. And what I would do is, I know this sounds really kind of creepy, 
but I would almost do this detachment exercise where it's like I would kind of float above my brain. I would float out of my body because my body was too uncomfortable to be in. I could not be in my body and withstand that feeling. So I kind of do this thing where I would rise above it in this almost kind of like, I don't know, I would come above it and I would watch it. I would watch what my mind was doing and I would watch what my body was doing and hear what my, here's what my mind was doing. I want it. I want it. I've got to have it. I've got to have it. You've got to eat that. You've got to eat that right now. You won't be able to concentrate if you don't eat that. What are you doing? This is so weird. This is crazy. You always eat that, right? That's going to taste so good. You're going to feel like garbage for the entire rest of the day if you don't eat it right now. You're not going to be able to get your work done. This just very cruel driving chatter, brain chatter, right? That was creating these horrible feelings. It went further. <laughs> You're gonna be fat forever. You're stupid. Why do you even have to do this? So just eat it. It doesn't matter. You're gonna be It doesn't fat matter. Forever. Who cares? It's just a cookie. Okay. How can you not even know this? Why do you even have to do this? Oh my God, you are useless. Your path I mean, God, isn't that so sad? Like, and it's very vulnerable. Like, here I am. <laughs> Tell me. No, but so everyone feels this. Everyone feels this. This right? is, a, this is the, the thing. And, and oh, so it's so painful. Good. It's so yeah. painful. And I mean, it would literally be like, you have an eating disorder. <laughs> if you have to stop and float above your own body to not eat a cookie, you're, you're disordered you're crazy, right? And then at the very end, it would literally be like, you're going to die if you don't eat it. You're going to die. You're going to die. Yeah. I mean, even right now, like I, I want to kind of tear up, like it's so painful. It's so like those messages are so sad and yeah. so sorry. I'm having no. kind of <laughs> like, like Dr. BJ Miller said, tears are good. Tears are, tears are good. Tears are good. Dr. Miller, I love him. That okay. So true though. I have had the same thing. My, my brain chatter and um, Corey Mascara, who I had on two weeks or a week ago, he was saying that we can help label the thoughts as just thinking, yeah. thinking or an emotion, anger, anger, anger. And I, I found that if I can identify what the emotion is yes, and ride it out, like, yes. okay, anger, 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 anger is usually mine. <laughs> angry. So angry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mine is shame, 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 shame. Like, like you should be so embarrassed. Like what is wrong with you? Right. And that like, and, and these message, like the, this chatter, this brain chatter, and that's what I call it. It sounds so like innocent. Oh, it's chattering like a squirrel. No, it's chattering like death by a thousand cuts is what it is. Death by a thousand cuts. That's exactly right. So, um, yeah, so, so it's this, this, voice and it's and okay and so what has happened my whole life before i was able to do that before i was able to see what was going on right i would believe it i would engage with it i would negotiate with it that is a losing battle i can't negotiate with this it will always win but if and when I can detach from it as the truth. Because again, when, you, when I hear all those messages, those are so un, un, like completely irrational. 
all of that, none of that is true. Not one of those statements is true, right? Not one of those things that my brain told me is true. Right. So what I can do and what I did do, right? And this is what I do with my clients too. We literally write out our craving. Like we write the voice of it. We, we write it out in real time as it's happening. Oh my God, our brains do not want to let us do this. It's so hard. But when you do this and you see it in black and white, you're like, this is a horror novel in my <laughs> brain. Okay. This is like not okay for children. Right. <laughs> Right? This is rated R or whatever for like gruesome violence in my brain. And that is why, that is what is driving this. Of course I'm eating. Of course I'm doing anything to shut that up because I'm believing it. It's sending out these signals that I've believed my whole life, right? And that's why I'm eating. So that is a, a, an enormously powerful tool. Now, does that mean that cravings go away and it feels fantastic and we're totally free all of the time? Absolutely not. This could not be more uncomfortable, frankly. And I always tell my clients when they start with me, I'm like, this shit is not comfortable. I hope it's okay if we swear. Yes. Yes. This shit ain't comfortable, right? But but this is a different kind of discomfort than engaging with the the brain chatter. This is a com- this is a discomfort that you can feel comfortable in because you are finally at a truth. You are at a truth and you are in a safe place to experience that truth, right? So the thing is, what's funny is with that detachment comes the ultimate reattachment. I get to experience a feeling of like strong desire. I get to experience my feelings of fear and frustration and reject and all the shit that like is coming from what my brain is telling me. And I get to see where it's coming from. So it doesn't feel like it's just real. It doesn't feel like it's just true. And I get to take care of myself from that place, right? And what I need in that moment is not to shut myself up with cupcakes. What I need in that moment is to pay attention to myself and, rem- and let myself know that none of that is true, that I really am safe, that I'm strong, that I'm okay, that I'm a total freaking badass. And by the way, my little necklace ha- says badass on it because that's what I have to remind myself all of the time because this chatter is just meant to just undermine and destroy me, right? It's meant to ruin me. <laughs> Which I know sounds so dramatic, but it really is. It really is. So where does chatter come from, Brooke? Like, where do the mean words come from? I mean, I know where mine came from. Yeah. But for the most yeah. part, is it something someone said to us once that we believed is an ultimate truth and we, yeah. we our behavior reinforces it? Yeah. Uh, what, where does it come from? So I think it comes actually from a lot of different places. For me, I think it came from... Obviously, all the the normal, you know, uh, uh, places, which is like advertisements and and subtle messages that we get from society about our value and our worth. I mean, I have to tell you, like, my parents, for as (laughs) messed up as they were around food, like, I actually didn't get a ton of direct messages about, like, not being worthwhile because of my weight or not whatever. Like, I just somehow decided you know, through what I was interpreting in the world. And by the way, I think for me, um, this comes from some brain like stuff, honestly. Um, so 
what I learned from getting sober was that, you know, addiction and addictive types of brain, so addiction is a brain disease, right? Addiction is a mental illness, <laughs> frankly, like as extreme as that sounds, it is, right? And what mental illness means is that it means that something in our brain is not functioning at its highest capability, right? Or it's not functioning in the best way. And I honestly believe, and I think this is a belief that serves me, that like fatal brain, that brain chatter that really drives these very dysfunctional behaviors comes a lot from that, right? And so I don't really spend a lot of time looking for where. Because mm -hmm. to me, all that matters is that it's there right now. And I have a tool to like walk through it. Now, I want to say too, this is not something that I have to do so much anymore. This is a tool if you get good at doing this, right? When that, that feeling comes on, you don't have to preempt it. You don't have to set up all of this stuff to make sure that you don't have cravings. Bring it freaking on because you have a craving. That's an opportunity to do like take a very deep breath. I literally had to like go to a different place and kind of sit through it at first. You don't always have the luxury of doing that. But even when you're in a room full of people, you can literally just like take a deep breath and remember to just separate yourself from your craving and to watch your mind and to see all of the terrible things that it's telling you about what you, how you absolutely need to eat or else you're going to suffer. You can experience that. And when you don't overeat in response to it, when you do not feed it, right? And you experience that all the way through, right? over and over and over, you actually create a new loop, right? Instead of the loop of craving and eating, you start beginning the loop of like, I take care of myself and I'm not as driven to overeat because I don't do that anymore. I don't overeat in response to this. I take care of myself in response to this. That was my way out. That was the tool that got me to the other side of feeling compulsively like I couldn't stop overeating to like, I can live my life <laughs> in a world with exactly the food that's in it right now and not overeat. So and that's tool number two. <laughs> and I think it's important to, to recognize that this is, we have spent 30, 40, 50, 60 years in the pattern that we are in. Mm -hmm. To establish a new pattern is not going to happen like this. We Correct. Are so and so we have lack of empathy for ourselves. I mean, I have been clawing, clawing my way out of addiction for 10 years. Clawing. Yeah. Even before that, it was food. Um, yeah. I'm talking 20 years just to get to the point where I can string together like seven to 10 days now. Yeah. But I do it over yeah. and over and over again. And every 10 days I put together, it becomes 12. And yeah. you know, I, I have hope because of that, but this is hard to break, but it is not impossible. And that's what I want us to walk away from today. Yeah. This is like change our belief system. 
Yeah. We can and also, it, and I'm so sorry, and I know we're going over, so I'll, I'll wrap this up super, super fast, up. but we'll just keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if people need to go, obviously, like, and, and this is you, you're just perfectly like segueing into the last, the last tool is it's a dial, not a switch. That was huge for me. It's a dial, not a switch. Alcohol felt like a switch, right? I switched it off. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Like it was horrifically difficult. Like it was super, super hard. Like it, right? Horrifically, that sounds terrible. Like it, yeah, it, it was miraculous, but it, it was very difficult. But I, as I, pra this was a practice for me. And sometimes I did it really well. And sometimes I fell fat, flat on my face in a plate of cookies. Like this was not a perfect thing. And so what I started to do was just think of it as like, oh, today I really was unable to use that tool in the way that I wanted to. That doesn't mean anything <laughs> about how well I'm doing, right? how I'm recovering or not. Um, I moved away from the abstinence model personally because it was too black and white. And for me, this was just a matter of getting this cravings and urges tool practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced, right? And sometimes I didn't practice it and sometimes I practiced it really well. And the more I just kept being dedicated to doing it and doing it to the best of my ability, the more I recovered. So for sure, and sometimes that dial, like I could really turn it up and practice it a lot. And then sometimes it just felt like it was you know, a little bit on empty. That would mean I just needed to like kind of fill myself and my life up, right? Maybe I wasn't taking, taking care of my emotional life in other ways, right? Maybe. So to me, that idea that it really wasn't a switch, that it really was kind of one tool at a time, that was the difference between food and alcohol for me. Because yeah, I mean, I, I, food is an ongoing biological need, right? But overeating isn't. I do want to make that distinction. Like our bodies naturally have a lot of built-in mechanisms to like help us to fuel ourselves properly, right? So I'm like eating isn't required, but overeating is not. So I had to, again, to sum it all up and then to shut up. <laughs> God, I'm so wordy, but to sum it all up, you have to have a plan of eating, right? And that plan is going to be ongoing as you figure out what works for you, right? But a plan to remove overeating, okay? You um, need a coping strategy for the craving. And remember, the craving is the, I call it my voice of addiction or my monster, whatever. Some people call it the pig voice, right? I remember that guest. I loved it, actually. I loved it. And go listen to my podcast with Glenn Livingston. He calls it the pig. The pig is helpful. Glenn Livingston. Glenn Livingston. Yep, yep. I, kind of, I called mine a wolf for a while because it just felt like it would come up and just grab me and just shake me and just, oh, it was so painful. Some people call theirs the commander. I've had a client who's just like, it's just this thing that barks at me, right? It's just so mean. And that tool of being able to, you know, watch your mind, watch this very angry, <laughs> you know, very dysfunctional think thought pattern like happening, not responding to it with overeating, allowing yourself to be very uncomfortable during that, right? And moving through that as much as possible. 
and then remembering too that this is a, a dial and there are degrees of this, okay? So it is not a, for me, it is not a black and white. It is not a perfection thing. I still overshoot sometimes. Sometimes I undershoot. Like it's this breathing part of my life. But for the most part, I remove overeating, right? And I use these tools to, to do that. So I hope that anything in there is, is helpful. And what I do in my company is I have sort of standardized these tools in a sense to walk clients through how to do this in a way that isn't so like intellectual, right? That isn't so just like uh, up in our heads, right? Oh, I'm supposed to do this floating above my body thing. What does that mean? Like there's actual, right? Practical tools that it's like, okay, this step, this step, this step, this step. This is how we put together a plan of eating. This is how we experiment with that. This is how we remove the overeating. This is how we deal with our emotional lives. So that's what I do now. And, and I'm really passionate about it because I will tell you overeating is bullshit. <laughs> I hate it. I hated it. It was, it was really, it caused way more suffering for me it's for so way true. longer than anything else. It's so true. It is so much suffering and it's not a joke and it's not funny. Right. It is right. suffering and I feel it. I feel it with, with every bit of my being as I plow through it after I binge the next morning. It's, it's so, I'm so tired of it. Yeah. Um, just so yeah. turn it. So I, I appreciate this in this space. We can probably take one or two questions. I have to bolt in 10 minutes. Yes, I know we're like way over. Fine, But I want to, you know, if we have any questions we can take, but I encourage you all to go to the food groups. Swimbikemom.com forward slash food is the short link. You can join it. It's called Overcoming Food Nonsense, which I think overcomingfoodnonsense.com is also take you there. But um, Brooke is one of the admins along with Ronnie, who's on this call, and um, my good friend Dina, who's an RD. So this conversation will continue. <laughs> so don't feel panicked if you can't get your question answered. But if you have a question, put up your little blue Zoom hand. We'll put you on video. And or if not, you can type it in the chat. But I know for me, Brooke, this was extremely life-giving and and i think that anytime you can tell a story about your experience and you can say i have you know beaten this fixed it overcome it co coped with it learned that life is not linear and zigzaggy and i'm doing okay with that zigzag you give life to other people and mm -hmm. so i am grateful for you and i'm grateful for ronnie and her story because you guys mm -hmm. are life-giving for me you are life-giving this is a 30 this is a 40-year battle i remember being um four years old and i actually just started started a new book <laughs> don't ask but one of the pages was i was at the beach and um I, I was in my red bikini and i remember looking down and seeing my big belly and loving it and that was the last time I remember being happy at the beach. Mm -hmm. But there was a four, a little four-year-old with a big belly who was fine. Yeah. And then, you know, and I want to get back there. This is the year <laughs> that I'm going to go back to the beach and love the little girl that's in the bikini. Yeah. As she is. You know, I, I, I wear those now, but I don't love it. And, I, and yeah. the, the chatter around that is terrible. So um, Mallory asked, are positive affirmations a huge part of recovering from this? Oh, yeah, good question. So what I would say is it's less for me positive. Okay, so positive affirmations, right? If I'm like trying to pep talk myself, never works. My brain is like so all about like, 
I'll say something and it will say, nope, 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 the opposite. The opposite is true, right? What I'm talking about is recognizing when that brain chatter is really untruthful, frankly. Like what I'm trying to suss out are truths that serve me, right? And so if my brain is telling me that I have to eat ice cream or I am going to suffer and be lonely for the rest of my life and right like that is not true and what I've done all my life is really actually attached to believing that right and attached to and again I wouldn't verbalize it I wasn't even that conscious of it all I knew was that I wanted ice cream and I felt like I couldn't not eat it right but in between those two things was a mind that was um, telling me terrible things to drive that behavior of eating so my practice now is just seeing that happening right and reminding myself that I don't need to attach to that because it is not true, right? If I don't eat ice cream, it has nothing to do with my relationships, with my level of suffering, with my level of um, happiness, right? And so what I like try to, I feel like I'm, I'm not wording this very eloquently. Um, what I do remember, I think in those moments too, is that it is, a very strong thing to do that, right? And that's true for me too. So I wouldn't say positive affirmations. I would say, what is true for you? What is actually true for you? Actually true. Actually what true. Actually true for you. And try to distinguish the false messages that are driving behaviors that are making, that are giving you results in your life that are shitty, right? Recognize that they're not true. <laughs> And that you just believing them is actually what's driving it and find out the truth. And more than likely, the truth is that you're a freaking badass. I'm just guessing. So hopefully that helps. Yeah, no, that, that's helpful because it's very true. We, when, like when I talk about positive affirmations and intentions with my clients, I'm like, you don't have to tell me a lie, but right. I want you to tell me something you like about yourself. I don't care what it is. Like, tell me something that's true about that or tell me, um, you know, what you want to be true. And a lot of times what we want to be true is not far away, even if it's not a thousand percent true. But like one of the things that I always want is I want, I want to be fit mm -hmm. and I don't consider myself fit, but I'm close. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? There's certain things in, in my mind to be fit yeah. that I have to achieve, but it doesn't mean that I'm not, it doesn't mean that I'm unfit. You know what I mean? Yeah. It just means like I'm not right where I want to be, yeah. but a badass. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Well, and that's exactly right. It's just like, so first of all, truth and lies are completely subjective. So why don't we just choose things that actually work for us? Right. But, but, you know, I, when I really removed overeating, what I recognized was that I had a lot of very fault finding, paranoid, negative ways of thinking, not just about food, but about a lot of other things in my life. Hello, my relationships. My, I mean, I told you like the big recovery really started when I had to kind of take the lid off of my, you know, relationship and see where I was really, um, 
yeah, really struggling with good self-image, right? In relationships, in money, in food, in all of this other stuff. So it really was for me recognizing that like positive affirmations weren't really positive. They were just like not negative, right? They were just not they were just not terrible right so if you get to a place where you're just kind of neutral or maybe like not so hard on yourself about everything that's a huge step forward so, yeah I used yeah. to and I tell the story everyone's sick of it but I used to walk in the gym on my way to run like 12 miles on a treadmill and as I was walking toward the mirror I would say why are you so fat look at your legs look and mm -hmm. I would just call mm -hmm. myself out on all the shit I was yeah. When I'm going to run 12 miles, like I'm literally making forward motion action to better myself and I'm criticizing yeah. myself every step of the way. That yeah. was a moment for me where I, and, and if you are just lost in this struggle, the number one thing you, you can do right today is turn on your ears and listen to the voice because so many of us aren't actually conscious. And I went through this with Deb Cheslow. Um, she has a great book. We did a course called your um, your brave mind. I think, um, I think that's what it is. I can't mm. even remember now, but regardless, um, and, and step day one was listen, mm -hmm. just listen. And, and most of the time we are not even listening It's part of our inner dialogue as much as any other thing would be like, it's like driving. We're just, we're, we're, it, we're on autopilot with the terrible messages. So that would be my big takeaway. Brooke, you gave us such great things to walk away with. Um, but I would say even before we get to those, we have to listen to what we're actually, because before you can float above yourself and watch yourself, yeah, yeah, yeah. Binge, you have to make sure your voice is, your, your ability to hear is turned on. Because a lot of us, it, it's not, it wasn't in me until I switched that on. But then once you hear it, you really hear it. Ooh, yeah, yeah. And that's when writing it down is really helpful because you're like, and then you can just scratch through all the lies. It's terrible. Right. And it's what really I used to say was you're a piece of shit. I would yeah. say that <laughs> yeah, probably to yourself a thousand times a day. So it is really helpful, I would say, to like work with someone else on this too. And again, I'm not necessarily plugging me, but someone, you know, someone who is either a therapist or, you know, a program of recovery or a coach or someone, right, to walk through this because our brains are very clever. They don't really want to look at themselves. It can be really hard to watch your own mind. That's exactly right. So like getting some help with this too. So thank you so much, Meredith. Thank you for all of the time. And thank all of you for, for joining and participating. And hopefully this was helpful. This was great. This was great. So make sure you join our Facebook group for more of this. Um, we will, Brooke and Ronnie are going to do Zoom calls monthly. I'll be on them too um, to talk through all this. And um, tomorrow night, 8 p.m. is the last official daily meetup. It's with Amy Dresner. She is a riot. Um, she has such an unorthodox um, sobriety story. Um, she's the author of the book, My Fair Junkie. She's amazing. So that's 8 p.m. tomorrow night, which will be the last official meetup. So if you can join for that, that'd be awesome. But um, otherwise, thank you all. This was engaging and I will post the replay of this so you can share it and, and re-listen. But thank you so much, Brooke. And thank you everyone. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.